0: Good evening. Welcome to Western Hills Church. I'm Nathan Redmond. It's good to have you here. And uh, if you are online, we just want to give you a special welcome. Hello, hello, hello. And if you are in person, then hello to you. Hello to you. Hello to you. Um, If you are online, just uh, send out a post. Say that you're there. And if you want to, it'd be great share it. There's plenty of people that need to join us tonight, so uh, send that out have them join you. Um, let's see, at the end, we may have some time for a little Q&A, so if you get a little prompting or a question, a tickle in your brain that you want answered, then uh, post it on there, and I'm sure Shiloh or someone will, will read it, and uh, they, can, they can convey that to us. At the end, if we have time, we'll try to get to some of those questions, so just put them, post it on there. I'm here with Pastor Jerry Wells, our uh, lead teaching pastor here at Western Hills Church. Just got some, got a few questions um, in light of the series that we're on and uh, just start out. Um, Why why don't you give us a little overview of the um, sermon series that we're in right now. By the way, Nathan Redmond is uh, one of our
1: elders in our church. He doesn't serve on our staff as far as being employed by our church, but him and several other fellows serve as a part of our team of elders, and uh, he along with the other fellows do an incredible job uh, meeting with our staff elders, helping us direct the church spiritually and discern the spiritual needs of the church. And that includes uh, everything from us working together in what we call Sermon Club, in order to come up with the sermon topics that we think will best minister to the needs of our church family, to praying for our flock, obviously, and, uh, and then just seeking the Lord about other ways that we can be effective in ministry to the people of our church. So I'm very grateful for, for Nathan and all of our team of elders that, that serve uh, together. Uh, this sermon series, Nathan, comes at a time in our nation when there's an incredible need for us as believers to be people of faith. Our faith is very challenged right now by the circumstances that everybody's experiencing, and we as believers should be leading the way in how we respond to these circumstances. Not based upon our feelings, but based upon our faith in God, our faith in His Word. And so this sermon series is a challenge to all of us to become unlikely heroes of faith. I think most believers struggle at times with feelings like, what difference does my life make? And how can my life make a greater difference than what it does? And so we're being stirred up. To believe that God can use anyone in his church to be a hero of faith to other people, one person at a time. And so that's what this series theme is, and we start out by looking at the life of the Lord Jesus. What in the world made him an unlikely hero? Well it was who he was in his humanity. He was the Son of God, but he was also the Son of Man. And we looked at all of the things that he had to overcome in his own personal humanity in order to become the greatest hero of faith in Christianity. And then we moved on to the Apostle Paul. And we looked at well, what made him an unlikely hero of faith. I mean, af- after all, he was, he, is, uh, he was an expert in the scriptures uh, when he was called To be a Christian and so it seemed like he had a leg up on everyone and perhaps he did in that way but what made him an unlikely hero was many things but one of them was he was an enemy of Jesus when he was converted and no one would have thought that he was going to become the greatest missionary for Jesus that has ever lived and that he would write 13 letters that are in our New Testament because he was a, one, a person that was actually persecuting the church, uh, having them arrested for their faith in the early church, and then even standing with those who would condemn their leaders to death and actually put their leaders to death. And then all of a sudden, he's a hero of faith. And so we're looking at things from the life of the Apostle Paul that made him a hero of faith. And we started out, we've actually had two messages on his life, and the first one we saw uh, the first week was that he was ready to die for the name of Jesus. And we saw how being ready to die for the name of Jesus gave him incredible courage to go and make disciples of Jesus no matter where he was called to make them. And so uh, that was the first week. And then last week we saw how Paul became a hero of faith because he loved all people. He wasn't just a missionary to the Jews, he was a, which was his own people, uh, the people that looked like him. But he was a missionary to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles was a very diverse group of people from many different ethnic groups and nationalities. And he, was, he loved them all. And uh, we saw examples of that from the life of the Apostle Paul. And we saw the difference that that made in his ministry to others, the fact that he loved all people, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what their nationality, no matter what gender they were, no matter what they had done in their past. I mean, he called himself the chief of sinners. And so he felt like he was always looking up to anyone else because he persecuted the church of Jesus. So no matter what you had done, Paul loved you and no matter what happened to him he we saw in the story uh, in in lystra how multitude was stirred up against paul by the jews and they stoned him and thought he was dead and they drug him out of the city and left him for dead and the disciples gathered around paul and not only does he get up But he goes right back into the city where the people just stoned him. I mean, that was loving your enemies because he would do anything to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm real excited about this Sunday. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. What's coming up this Sunday, I'm real excited about. We're going to be still in the life of the Apostle Paul. I think it'll be the last message from his life in this unlikely Hero of Faith series. And we're going to look at what made him a hero of faith was that he would speak the truth.
0: Okay. Hmm.
1: And we're going to see this guy was willing to speak the truth in any circumstance, in any situation. And we're going to see how him speaking the truth... Really caused his own personal ministry to expand, and uh, you know, for the glory of Jesus. So anyway, that's where we're going. Don't miss this Sunday, as we as we see that in the life of uh, the Apostle Paul.
0: Thank you. Thanks for that overview. I've heard you say um, that that God is calling us to be unlikely heroes, so that we can reach unlikely heroes. But You said it takes a supernatural faith in order to be an unlikely hero. Can you explain that to us? Why does it take a supernatural faith?
1: Well, there's certain positive things in humanity, even though we're all fallen creatures in need of a Savior, even though we deserve the judgment of God because of our sin. Uh, Those who don't even know Jesus can be heroes in their own right. Because, you know, a man can die for his country and become a hero. And lots of people who don't know Jesus have died for their country. Or he can die for his family. Or he can die for a cause that he really believes in and become a hero of that cause. But when it comes to Christianity, we're talking about putting our life on the line for a God that we cannot visibly see. And it takes incredible faith... To put your life on the line and become a hero for a God who's invisible that nobody can see. And so Jesus at one point said to his disciples, he said, you know, you believe because what you've seen. And then he said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And that's you and I, Nathan. That's these folks out here. It takes faith, incredible faith. To believe in someone and trust someone and stand up for someone and we didn't see his resurrection that's right right and we're 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 stand and so we need and, and and it's so easy because we didn't see it's so easy for our faith in Jesus to waver and folks that's why you need the church that's why you need to be in church that's why you need to be watching tonight. That's why you need to be in relationship with other believers in small groups. It's because we are believing in a God that we cannot grab, we cannot touch, we cannot see. And we need encouragement constantly in our faith in order to become the unlikely heroes that God has destined each one of us to be
0: in the lives of other people. That's good. That's good. So it's not an easy thing, and it requires a supernatural work. Well, that's what I, I heard you say this Sunday. You said, quote, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to love people. And I, I'm, I wanted a little bit follow-up with that. What changes factually in a person when the Spirit of God enters them?
1: Well, and let me say this. It's a supernatural work to love all people. Mm. Because it's very natural for you as a parent to love your child, right? True. Or a mother to love their child. That's true. Or it's very natural for even a a brother to love his sister or a sister to love a sister. There's a natural affection that all of us have as human beings for you know certain people and perhaps even certain friends or certain groups of people. If someone has has served you in some way that is incredible then you have a natural debt of love that you feel for that person and affection for that person because of how loyal they've been to you. So, you know, all of us have that natural affection. But when it comes to loving all people, you know, if we're just honest, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, people, we people, we have some issues. We have some (laughs) serious problems. You know, we have some serious sin issues and sin problems in our life. You know, we offend one another. That's true. And we do horrible things to one another as human beings. And we see it every day on our news. What, the horrible things that we as human beings do to each other. And so when it comes to loving all people, you know, yeah. people that offend us, people that hurt us, people that despitefully use us. When it comes to loving all people, people that don't look like us, people that we don't share any common, anything hardly in common with culture, they, hey, let's just be honest. That's going to take a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens through what Jesus said in John 3, 3 is a new birth, a birth of the Spirit, because the Bible says that all of us as human beings we're born dead in our transgressions and sins. That means that we're spiritually dead to God. We don't have a relationship with God because of our sinful nature. And in order to have that relationship with God, we've got to come to God through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only one who's atoned for the sins of mankind. And when we do that, if we do that, one of the promises of the gospel is that he sends his Spirit, The spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the, 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 you know, the tripart trinity comes to dwell in us. And that's the factual part, is the new birth that enables us to love like God loves. God loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that new birth. Through the Spirit, our union with the Spirit that makes us partakers of the divine nature that gives us the power to love everyone like God
0: loves everyone. So that's the factual part, the new birth, the new birth. in the Spirit. That's good. I, I heard you quoting that passage in, in Peter where we have that divine nature. It's like a fusing with the divine nature of God. So, so we change actually factually we change into a new creature a new creation what kind of what kind of changes should we expect to see after that happens what should what should we see as the result of that in our lives or in if i'm looking at someone else what changes should i expect to see in them if that happens to them Well, what
1: we have in in Scripture is admonitions by the Lord Jesus in which he said that we would know who his followers are by their fruit. And when the Apostle Paul talked about fruit, he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about in a letter that he wrote to the Galatian church because I think they were wondering the same thing. I mean, what should we look for in those who genuinely converted? And, and he began to describe the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit
0: is what, Brother Resisting. Nathan? Love. Love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. Did I miss one? Kindness, gentleness, you might call it. Thank
1: you very much. Yeah. And, and, so, and some believe the way that Paul said it, that love is really the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, and once you have that, these other fruits are born out of that fruit. But that's what we should see when someone is converted. We should see a change of heart because there's been a change of nature that produces that kind of love. Now, there's another passage of Scripture where Paul goes into detail about what love looks like. And that is where?
0: I would say 1 Corinthians 13.
1: You're a good elder. It's in <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 is where that, that's at. And, and Paul talks about how if we're tremendously talented and gifted and, you know, we can do incredible works, but we have not love. It's basically, he says, we're just like a A clanging gong or a noisy cymbal to other people. And then he goes into a definition of what love looks like. And love is patient and love is kind. And he goes into this description there. We call it the love chapter. And so when we're born again of the Spirit of God, we have the ability to walk in that kind of love toward other human beings, no matter who they are, no matter how they treat us. And that's what we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, and that's what we see also in the life of, uh, of the Apostle Paul. Now, one of the things that I talked about Sunday that got a rise out of me, <laughs> I don't know if it got a rise out of everybody else, but when I started applying this, I talked about the hypocrisy that I see in the world and even in the church where we are telling everyone else to love everybody, but we as husbands are not loving our wives. Or wives are not loving their husbands. You know what's interesting to me? If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter admonishes the church to be like Jesus in the way that he responded to those who were his enemies. He ends chapter 2 of 1 Peter 2 by talking about the example of the Lord Jesus and the way that he related to those who offended him and, and, and totally abused him. And do you know where he goes? Peter goes immediately after that in 1 Peter 3. He says, Likewise, likewise, you wives. Ooh. He went right from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that... The Lord And he goes right to the family. Peter does. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he goes right to the family, and he starts out with the wives. And I like to say this: he gave six verses to the wives. And 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And then he shifts to the husbands in verse 7. And there's only one verse to the <laughs> husbands. But we know for sure husbands are to be the leaders in the home. We're supposed to set the pace when it comes to uh, loving our wives. You know why he did that? You know why he went first to the wives? Tell me. I knew you were going to ask that. In 1 Peter 3 and 1 through 6, if you'll look at it and, and read it in detail, what was happening in the early church is that you were having the conversion of all of these women to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their husbands were resisting and not coming to christ and so peter sees this happening in the church and so what does he do he's challenging these christian wives to love their unregenerate husbands so that they will be the chief example of the love of god to these unregenerate husbands is why he did that now when he gets to verse 7 He's talking to Christian men with Christian wives and telling them, although you should love, even if your wife was unregenerated or unconverted, the same way. But that's the context, really, of verse 7. And then he moves on from there to applying 1 Peter 2 to the whole church. Oh, my goodness. And then from there to the whole world. We're supposed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that we love, first in our homes, first in our families, first in our marriage relationship, and then to the church, and then to the entire world.
0: And so that's the uh, pattern that's right there in 1 Peter 2 and 3. That's good. I'm glad you started there, um, starting with the, the minute that someone is regenerated, that they become a person of love, and that we should expect to see from them, love first to their family and then outward to all people. I, w- I want to take a, a little bit and t- try to talk about some conflicts that people would have. You gave one example of someone of a, a marriage where one party is fo- trying to follow Jesus and trying to love, and the other party is probably not. Um, that may be someone's situation and uh, various others, obviously co-workers. We're going to get to a a few of these um, concepts, and I'd like to hear from a biblical foundation, a a biblical perspective. How are we supposed to um, face these? So the first question is real general, and I think that uh, we know the answer, but it's good to start general. How do we love others well who have offended us or who have hurt us? And that's, that's a very
1: real circumstance. Uh, going back to 1 Peter 3, I can't think uh, in a marriage of a more difficult circumstance than what Sarah experienced in her marriage to Abraham. Because we know that there were two different times where he he gave her up as his wife by not telling certain rulers that she was his wife and you know by Jewish law she was his sister and and so he used that uh, aspect of their relationship to protect himself because he was afraid that because she was a beautiful woman that if these where he was traveling if these rulers found out that she was his wife that they would just come and kill him and take her and so but in that passage of scripture and this is even before the cross it uses Sarah as an example of a lady who trusted God my goodness! I mean, you talk about an incredible offense. You know, I, I to me, you know, and and, and and we don't think she was violated in either one of those situations. That God did protect her in those situations. But hey, if I was Sarah, and once I got back home to Abraham, <laughs> there wouldn't be supper for a long time. You know, that would be the natural tendency. And there wouldn't be much of anything else for a long time, you know, if I was in her shoes. But she, she overcame that offense. And, and that's just one example that we have in the Scripture. We have all kinds of others, both Old and New Testament, about how people through the power of the Spirit of God were able to overcome offense and, and love people that had committed really terrible offenses against them in in very real situations and it's it you know is is it an easy thing to do no it it, it, it's it's a very difficult thing to face each and every offense and and make a conscious decision I know the Lord wants me to love that person and I'm going I'm surrendering myself to the Lord to love that person even though they're my enemy, even though they've offended me, even though they've hurt me. And I am going to do that through God's power. And, and if a person will do that, then the Lord will direct their steps in how to act that out in that particular situation. And they're not always the same in how God wants us to act out that love. What is the same is that we love those who offend us. We love those who despitefully use us. And, and then, once we're surrendered to that, then we can discover what that's gonna look like in each individual situation or each individual relationship.
0: That's good. So, I'm hearing love, okay? Sounds, uh, sounds simple, but we recognize it's very difficult. In the example of Sarah, two times, Later on, uh, Abram kind of goes hands off and says, you know, treat your maidservant however you want to. He's kind of, you know, he does a few things. But but for the most part, he seems like a decent guy. You use the example of Paul who gets thrown out, stoned, left for dead. He gets back up and goes right back. Sounds similar to, to Sarah. Goes back to her husband. Can you speak, though, maybe to someone who's listening who it's not once or twice. It's, it's every day they work with this person. It's every day they're married to this person who's behaving that. Someone who is, is going through daily suffering.
1: Yeah, and obviously there's different types of offenses that uh, if you look at the Old Testament law of Moses, there's definitely different types of offenses in the law of Moses, just as there is in our laws today, and so you can have an offense, it's, it's, it's a lo- it, for example, where someone calls you a name, you know, and it's hurtful, or they degrade you in some way, they verbally degrade you in some way, or you can have a, an offense where they physically assault you, or perhaps they sexually assault you. You know, there's not a, you know, the Lord doesn't say anywhere, okay, if you're hurt this way, yeah, you don't have to love them. You're relieved from that responsibility. He never says that. In fact, he's used as the example of someone who was incredibly abused, who continues to love us in spite of the fact that he was abused by people like us, even laid down his life for them. But there are different, you know, types of offenses. And responding to those offenses in love is not always the same. And so, for example, uh, if, for example, you're being, uh, if someone's committing a criminal act against you, do you understand that the most loving thing that you can do uh, for that person and for others is to report them? for that criminal act that they committed against you? That, why is that? Because, why is that? Well, if they're committing a criminal act against you, they're committing a criminal act against society, then what's, you're going to be protecting others and even restraining them from further harm to themselves by, re, by reporting them. And they're not going to see it that way. They're going to say, You're not doing me a favor. In fact, they're going to react to it. They're going to hate you if you uh, hold them accountable. But in reality, if your heart is right, that would be the right thing to do. You know, if you know about a situation where a child is being, uh, you know, sexually abused, the right thing to do for both the offender and the child is to report them. So that they will be restrained themselves and also that child will be protected. It's all about love and how love should operate in, in wisdom in all of these different situations. But what can't be in our hearts is a vindicative spirit of revenge, vengeance, you know, that's being advocated right now in our world. This is how we're going to change our world by this. Unbelievable uh, spirit of vengeance, you know, and that's the right thing to do in order to make things just. No, that's not right. Not according to Jesus. No, we love even when we're acting in ways that someone else may not even perceive as love. And so, you know, that's how it works out practically uh, in, in different situations. And, in, in, you know, different offenses hurt people differently. You know, you and I as guys, you know, someone may say something to us that's sort of derogatory, and our natural response might be just to laugh, like, can you believe he said that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, while to someone else, that may really pierce deeply into their heart the very same offense and create an incredible wound that they're gonna have to really deal with in order to love that offender the way that God wants them to love them. Obviously, it takes a great amount of forgiveness uh, to walk in love. And with someone who's doing it repeatedly to you, you know, like if you're at work and you've got this uh, fellow co-worker that's always running you down with his mouth, or you've got an boss that's always running you down with his mouth, it's not going to be a one-time forgiveness deal. It's going to be an everyday deal. And, and, And it's going to involve not only forgiveness, but trusting the Lord that as you're following Jesus to love that offender, the Lord's going to accomplish his purpose. That's why it takes a tremendous amount of faith. Because you're believing in something that you can't even see how it can happen when you're being offended that way. But I'm going to love you anyway. Because I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting in His sovereignty to accomplish His plan in this circumstance by loving you this way. That's where faith comes in. Not just forgiveness. Forgiveness and faith. Forgiveness and faith. It takes faith to forgive
0: and it takes forgiveness to continue to walk in faith. Wow. So I'm, I'm hearing you make that connection between the f- faith that is necessary to love someone. It's that's that's a totally different perspective than just saying, "Well, God called me to love everyone. I gotta keep on loving. I gotta keep on loving. I gotta keep on loving." But to trust that God's way, God's way is the right way, and trust that He is going to take care of me, even though I'm the one that's being abused, even though I'm the one that's being hurt.
1: Yeah, well, so faith, the faith there is. Uh, believing that each one of us individually are the children of God and that God has a personal plan that he's carrying out in each one of our lives dependent and independently of one another. And so at that very moment when that offense is happening, You, in order to really walk in love, have got to believe that this is a part of the Lord's redemptive plan in you and through you with that person. That this is really a personal deal. That when we talk about being guided by the Spirit of the living God, that we are being guided, each one of us individually in our own lives, in a very personal way in every single relationship that we're involved in in our lives if you don't get to that point of really believing you're that special to God you're going to find it very difficult to walk in love or impossible to walk in love the way that you should toward everyone who offends you so we see it all of these illustrations you know that we could point out we don't need have time to do it in the scripture where people believe that they they believe you can say it different ways the Lord's hands upon me Lord's eyes are upon me. Yeah, he's on YouTube, he's on me. And he's on his plan for me. And he's on his purpose for me. And he's working that out as we speak. And he's doing the same in your life. Oh, you know, we, we, we need to believe
0: that we have that kind of intimacy, each one of us, with the Lord in our lives. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that, that, that I do feel that personally. And the people that are in my small group they know, because I'm sharing life with them, that I had, a, had the chance to experience this a lot this last year. And I had a perspective that I had a ministry of reconciliation for the lost and bringing them to God. And that, that's what I'm hearing you say, is mm-hmm. that I, I'm special. Yes. I'm special, and sometimes that special hurts that because I've got a mission, Well, it did for the
1: Lord Jesus, didn't it? Yeah. And so we're not exempt. He wasn't exempt. He's a, you know, he's a son of God. He's been the son of God for all eternity. What a great example. Yeah, exactly. And so none of us are exempt from God accomplishing his purpose in us and through us through that suffering. And that takes faith. That takes faith. To believe that God loves you when you're hurting, Hmm. that takes incredible faith in the Lord and his character and his nature and his word and it all begins with the gospel of Jesus because that's the foundation
0: of Why we trust is what Jesus did for us when he died for us on the cross I, I got a I got another issue for it for you that I'd like you to address this one um, hmm. There's some of us are struggling with this right now mm-hmm. We, How do I say this I Jesus said, go talk to every single person in the world, go, go share the gospel, share, make disciples of everyone. But what about that person who says, you know, Paul said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is first for the Jew, and, and then when we get around to it, we'll get to the Gentiles. What, what do you say to the person who says, I'm just going to love the people that look like me, the people that think like me, the people that act like me. I I don't have enough energy. I'm not called to the other the those others, whatever that means to them.
1: Well, there's definitely was a calling upon the Lord Jesus to reach the Jews first, and we we see it in several stories that are in the scripture. It, It did not ultimately keep him from loving those who weren't Jews and sharing truth with them, but he made it really clear that his first mission that he was given was to the Jews. And, and the same was true, really, for the Apostle Paul initially. And then, you know, it, it didn't take long for his focus to turn to the Gentiles, although we still see him even after he's turned to the Gentiles. He still likes to visit the synagogues and share the gospel with the Jews, even in the last church that he was in, which was Rome before he was executed. We have an example right there where he's still reaching out to the Jews, even though his primary ministry for many years had been to the Gentiles. So there are in our lives a, a, sometimes a special calling to certain uh, people groups that live in certain places. And what I would say is that, you know, that, that calling, that special calling that Jesus had first to the Jews that Paul had first to the Jews, even Peter had. And, and basically, Peter spent most of his ministry ministering to the Jews and not the Gentiles, as far as we know. Uh, that is a special calling that is in the Scripture that is seen in those situations and circumstances. Not everyone has that special calling, you know, where they're called to a particular people group, uh, or they're called just to minister to a particular place. And, you know, what I believe is the way the Lord primarily directs missionaries, and we're all missionaries, is he calls us to a place. You see it throughout the, the ministry of Jesus. He was always leaving one place to go to another place. And then he would minister to the people that were in that place. Yeah. Even if it was in Samaria, True. he would do it. He was always being called to a place. And I think for each one of us, You have your places, Santa Fe South, right? Right. That's not my place specifically. doesn't mean I won't minister to people from Santa Fe. We do. We have folks in our church that are from there, including yourself. And we have students in our church. But God has placed you there. And so there's going to be a natural, you know that. Absolutely. And there's going to be a natural focus upon that place and that people group in that place because you know that calling is on your life right now. And that could be true for for some in the church, but not everyone. But I would say this, start with your neighborhood. You know, I mean, come on. In our neighborhood, we're surrounded by lost people who don't know Jesus. And God has placed us there. And so we have a calling to those neighbors to get the gospel to them, to develop relationship with them. And, and so there's a place and there's a people. But God wants us to love all people on our block, yeah. not just the people that look like us or they're our age or they have the same political beliefs that we do. He calls us to love all people in that particular space that he has placed us in. So we believe, for example, with our church, that God has placed us on this side of Oklahoma City for a reason, to reach a particular people group that now has moved into this area of the city. and But it doesn't exclude us from ministering to other people sure. that may not look like the, the majority of people that live in this area. That's good. So we certainly don't look like the majority of the people in this area. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: Um, the next thing, and maybe I'm, I'm not trying to split hairs, but I'm trying to give a different... A, 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 I'm giving, trying to give some attention to... Uh, some of the issues that I, I hear and some of the things that I see as I'm trying to lead a, the people in our church. <laughs> we we want to protect our families. We want to protect our small groups. Um, and as the people who are a part of our small groups, then there's a culture that we're trying to create. And that's a culture of love. It's not a culture of color or a culture of Um, size or a culture. It's not anything. It's a culture of love. Um, What do we do, though, when someone threatens the safety or the culture of our group? How do we still love that person without um, threatening or allowing threat? Or should we allow threat to ourselves and to our small groups and to our families in order to love? I guess You can answer that.
1: Well, if I'm understanding the question correctly, first of all, it's why it was so important you look throughout the New Testament that elders were always appointed in the churches. Why were elders appointed in the churches? Well, you say, well, to shepherd the flock of God, and certainly that's true, to feed the flock of God, but to protect the flock of God. And, and, I mean, the Scriptures, you look at the Scriptures, and once the church was you know, blasted off in in Acts chapter 2. There's just one example after another where the importance of appointing elders in the church. Because one of the elders' responsibility is to protect the church. You know, as a shepherd, that's what shepherds do. We feed, we lead, we protect, is what we do. And so in any local church, there needs to be elders that have been appointed by God and accepted by the church to protect that church from all kinds of possible things that could come against it. Now with that, what we need to understand is that your, your, your oldest child's how old? Uh, two, two. Pretty mobile.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah? yeah definitely. Yeah. And, and so in your home, uh, when your child became mobile,
0: uh, what did you do to protect that child? Starting to put locks on cabinets and protecting sharp corners and you know, locking doors. And so, so did you do that because you hated that child? No, no. Right. I, she just, I just didn't think that she could handle herself in that situation, so I'm trying to protect her from it.
1: All right, and so you did that out of love for your child to protect your child's well-being, right? Right. Okay, so you're establishing boundaries not because I'm against you, but because I'm for you. Does that child always understand that those boundaries are for them? No way. No way. No, because that sinful nature that uh, they're born with, they are going to resist and some are going to resist stronger than others. They're going to be strong-willed children and uh, have an even stronger rebellious streak in them. But the point is, is that establishing boundaries is loving people and, and should be done out of love. Once again, never out of spite never out of a desire to hurt them but no out of love we've got to establish boundaries you go to santa fe south you're a teacher there
0: you know what are the boundaries there for to for to protect people
1: protect people yeah it's not to harm people it's to love people we go out and we drive our cars we have these boundaries called you know laws for driving and they're not there to hurt us they're there to help us because it's a way of us loving each other in society to have law enforcement people that establish those. It provides order. And so in any situation, any organization, whether you're dealing with a family or you're dealing with a church or you're dealing with civil authorities, the loving thing to do is to have boundaries. And for those boundaries to be clear, you know, for people. We're doing that this next Sunday in our church. We've established a new boundary. We're going to have a safe area over here on the east side for the people in our church that are most vulnerable. And so the chairs are going to be separated more than what they are now. And and they're going to be able to enter the south doors and and come into this area. And it's going to be a, a, a protected zone from children unless we have a child that's one of the most vulnerable. And, and we're going to provide a bathroom through the store over here that they can go to and then we'll have a designated bathroom out here. Now why are we doing that? Why are we establishing these boundaries? Because we hate all these people? <laughs> no! <laughs> because we're loving these folks and this is one way for us to show love for them as a church by establishing those boundaries. And so in small groups you're always going to be dealing with uh, people that don't understand the boundaries or even the purpose of the boundaries, and they're going to violate the boundaries. And when they violate the boundaries in the spirit of love, they have to be corrected and they have to be called to honor the other people by complying with the boundary. Now, that compliance can be a challenge at times, depending on different people, just like with children. Some children are easy to manage. Some adults are easier to manage than others. You know, well, you know, what's going to have to happen there in those situations where the boundaries have been established, like we have guidelines in our small groups that create relational environment. If you have someone that comes into the group and they're always trying to dominate it, which I have experienced in most all of our small groups, then what you have to do is you have to have a personal conversation with that person, remind them of the guideline, and you have to ask them, can you follow it or not? And if you can't follow it, yeah, there could be a time where you say, well, look, if you can't follow our boundaries, guidelines that have been established by our elders and supported by our elders, then no, you can't be a part of our group until you're ready to do that. And, uh, but that's out of love, out of love for the group, and it's really out of love for that individual because that individual needs to learn to love people, and they're not loving people by not following those boundaries that have been set for them, right? Okay.
0: So I hear some real simple things, you know, and once someone's regenerated, they, they, their whole nature changes and they begin to love other people and you can see it expressed in and through them. And you say that you need to set up boundaries to help protect. But through all of this, I still hear you saying that we're going to be damaged, we're going to be hurt, and we're going to go through suffering. So with the time we have left, just a couple more questions, and one is, what's the purpose of all of this suffering? Why why do we have to, why do we have to have the suffering? Couldn't we just love people and everything go good? (laughs) Right? Why why do we have to, why do we have to suffer? Well, first of all, suffering is a natural part
1: of being a human being. Uh, We're born into a fallen and sinful world, and because we're born into a fallen and sinful world there is going to be suffering in our lives Uh, we're all going to die you know we're going to our bodies going to grow weak and we're all going to die and at at some point unless Jesus returns in the rapture of the church but otherwise we're all going to experience that we're all going to go through difficult things with other people because all people are sinners and uh, nobody's perfect And so suffering is just a factual part of our existence as human beings. What makes us different as Christians is that we understand that God is sovereign over any suffering that we experience in our lives. In other words, God could prevent suffering if he so chose. And he could, if he so chose, keep all of us from suffering 100% through the course of our lives now some people believe that that's what god is willing to do for us it's called the prosperity gospel and that we're all supposed to be healthy and wealthy and whatever else is you know prosperous in our lives and certainly i believe in you know that when you walk in the spirit that you experience an abundant life but not necessarily in the way that it's being defined by the prosperity gospel and so, what God does is He's chosen not to limit His children from experiencing the same sufferings that everyone else experiences in the world. But what happens when we respond differently to the sufferings than the world does? We get noticed. We get we're the light. You see, that's that's why Jesus was. He was an incredible light by the way that He responded to suffering. And so, in order for God to glorify Himself through us, He wants us to respond differently to the sufferings that we experience in our lives. And as we do that, our testimony grows. You know, my testimony has grown since my late wife, Debbie, passed away. My wife's testimony, Sandra, has grown because she's been an incredible light as a result of that suffering that she went through. Doesn't mean that we have to like it. God's okay when we say, if you read the Psalms, you know, do I really have to go through this? I mean, even Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't, because that was God's plan to accomplish through the life of Jesus. And he has a plan like that for each one of us. And he will accomplish that plan. You think we might be able to take any questions that people might have? Do you have any up there, Shiloh?
0: All right. Well, Nathan could ask one more then. All right, then. Um, I'd ask you to be a little uh, transparent with us and get a little personal. Um, you said that through suffering um, and through difficulty, our, our light grows brighter for the world to see. What, what's a difficult person or situation that, uh, that's been uh, tough for you in your life?
1: Well, those folks around here that, you know, hear my story a lot, bless their hearts. But, uh, you know, I, I, I came from this dysfunctional family. I was raised by a single parent. My single parent was my father, and my father was an alcoholic. And as a result of his alcoholism, I suffered a lot as a child. And <clears throat> there's always people that suffered more than me from whatever they went through in their childhood. And, but I did suffer a lot. I suffered some incredible things. Uh, as I was growing up as a child because of his alcoholism and so as a result when I became a Christian he was the most difficult person for me to love and I didn't do it on my own the moment I got converted I had a compassion for him that I never had before well that wasn't me that was the spirit of the living God. Gave birth to my spirit. Raised me from dead unto life. And all of a sudden I'm going, what is this? This is different. You know, it wasn't computing with my mind. having this compassion for him and his own suffering in his life. And so definitely it was my father as a junior in high school that throughout the course of my life, there's no question, he was the most difficult person for me. Uh, to love. There's no way I could have done it without the Holy Spirit filling me. No way. Absolutely no way. He was a very, very difficult person to love. And uh, my older brother came to Christ after me as far as fully surrendering his life to Jesus. And he went for many years with, still with a lot of animosity toward my father. And my father wasn't even an alcoholic. <laughs> when he grew up, it happened after he left home, that he became an alcoholic. And, uh, and, but the same thing happened to my brother, even though my father had passed away. He, my brother came to a point of forgiving my father, even after my father was gone. And he couldn't demonstrate love for him because he wasn't around, but he had the heart too. It changed his heart. My brother has an incredible heart given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. So that would be in my own life, There's been lots of other challenges along the way, but I always felt like that the Lord just prepared me for what he had for me as a pastor, you know, loving all kinds of folks by what he did first in my heart, you know, with my father. And uh, and the end of that story is that my father's life changed, you know, uh, through that. When you think about it, he was, you know, I was 17 when I became a Christian. My father was 60. He was old enough to be my grandfather. He's 43 years old when I was born. And so he was 60 when I was 17. It's all talk about a generational gap. There's two generational gaps there. Okay? But through that love that the Lord placed in my heart for him, it changed his life. And, uh, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, you know, I saw it in the way some changes in his life. But more than anything else, I have the letters that he wrote me before he passed away, in which he expresses very specifically how that love changed his life. He came to understand the grace of God through that love that he didn't understand. So, anyway, that's uh, that was my most difficult. How about you? Most difficult person in your life to love? You don't have to use their first name if it's a member of your family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it well, probably is right <laughs> well honestly, typically for
1: us it, it can be a member of our family i mean after all how many siblings do you have
0: i uh, just uh, 13
1: yeah you know, he only has 13 siblings 13 potential <laughs> offenders
0: <laughs> honestly honestly no, there's 13 of you or 14 of you? there's 14 i'm the first oh, you, oh my yeah. goodness So see yeah. i mean i you had one, all kinds of opportunities i have one brother that's 24 years younger than me so wow um yeah he's got one of those similar generational gaps with his father. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the most difficult people for me to love was when I was, act- when I was already an adult, and, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna say his name because you all know him, but uh, his, his name is John, and uh, it's because our personalities were totally different. Really? Yeah, and we both were regenerated followers of Christ, yeah. and yet we still clashed. had like just clashed, clash, 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 and uh, there's so much, there's so much into the story, and, but, but, but y'all became roommates. That's why it got bad. Because we were like the worst couple you've ever met. It's the like. The odd couple. Seriously. Uh-huh. We were sitting there fighting over should we use paper towels or, or dish rags? Talk about stupid stuff. Neither one of y'all are opinionated either. Not at all. Not at all. We were both super humiliated. Yeah. I mean, humble. <laughs> and it, one day it just got so heated that uh, one of us stormed out. And uh, we separated to cool off for a little bit. And after that, we had a meeting. And the Holy Spirit was there, let me yeah. tell you. Because we both looked at each other and we said, You know why we're fighting? It's because we don't love each other. Oh. This, is a true, this is a true story. Before you even start preaching this, we're I mean, like, The reason that we're having a problem is because we don't love each other. And uh, we decided right then that moving forward, we would try our best to love each other. And, uh, you know, it's a cute hallmark moment, but it, it still took a lot of work because we'd built up a lot of uh, experiences of not loving each other, not of being prideful and not being humble. <sighs> can you, in your closing mar- remarks, can you speak to that person? Because we say around here, faith over fear. We put faith in, in God over fear of whatever could happen, but some people, they're not, they're not acting in faith, and it's been decades. It's been a long time, and they haven't operated in faith and they're not seeing the love in them for certain people. What can, as, we, as we close out this time, what can you say to those people to, to help them? To, what do they need to hear? Well, this may sound sort of callous, but
1: what I say to many people, after they've tried the wrong way for a long time, I'll say, well, How's that working out for you? <laughs> And I, they don't even really have to answer. You can see it on their face that it's not working out very well the way that they've chosen to live. And, and faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice to believe in the God of the Bible and trust Him. Now, the Spirit helps us make that choice. Yes. And it's okay to say, Lord, you know, help my unbelief. But it's still the choice to head in that direction that the Holy Spirit will strengthen in us to do those things that are most difficult things to do, which I really can't think of uh, of anything more difficult for me to do than to love someone who is deeply hurting me or deeply hurting someone that I love. The other thing I would say is, is that we are a body, the body of Christ. We're supposed to encourage one another in our faith. Well, I can't encourage you in your faith unless I know what you're going through. And that's why we have small groups, so that when someone hurts me, I mean, it happened recently. I go to my small group. I say, man, I'm really hurting, fellas. I really need your prayers. And, you know, we're not praying, you know, well, God, you know, just take out that person that offended Jerry. You know no we're praying for me because my faith has needs to grow in order to love that person and if i'm not transparent with my fellow elders or the people in my small group then you know i'm probably going to stay stuck where i'm at and not grow like i'm supposed to grow so practically speaking faith is a decision faith is a choice but being transparent with others to let them know, hey, I'm really struggling with my faith right now. You know, and letting other people know how you've been hurt. And you know, when other people let us know how they've been hurt, we don't say, hey, hey, grow up. No, what we do is I'm saying, I'm really sorry because I've experienced that pain myself, and it's not a pleasant thing. And so we have compassion for each other. And then we encourage one another with the truth of God's Word and people in our church grow in their faith, and they become lovers like Jesus, and that's what our goal is. So...
0: Amen. We're out of time. Well, thank you for joining us. Don Francisco said in one of his songs that love is not a feeling, but it's an act of your will. And I hope that this week that you grow in your faith. I hope that you uh, will take what you've heard from Pastor Jerry tonight. Thank you for meeting with me and having this discussion. And uh, you can come this Sunday. Yep. And uh, hear the next episode in um, Unlikely Heroes as we look at a different aspect of the life of Paul. So I hope you have a good rest of your week. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right. Thank you all for being here.
1: Thank you, Nathan.